Genesis chapter 6. Now, what Genesis chapter 6 does is it introduces the flood. It introduces Noah and the flood. And, of course, geologically, it's the most significant event that's taken place in our history. And the world wants to twist it to where, you know, everything's billions of years old when the evidence for all of those things happened in the flood. But there's a lot more to the flood than just the actual physical event. Why did it happen? That's what we're going to look at today. The title of my message is Why the Flood? Why the Flood? Here's a question. Look at, let's look at Genesis chapter 6. And look at what it says in verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, here's what's interesting to me about that. That does not seem unique. Honestly, would you say that the world today is any different than that? Now, now, let me just ask you a question. I promise I won't make you vote all day. But how many of you this week had to, through an act of the Spirit or the will, draw your mind back to godly things? Yeah. Why? Because in this world, the thoughts of man or the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is the state of the world. So here's my question. What do we do now? We go and we preach the gospel. This is a fallen world. People that are in it are destined to a godless eternity. And so we go and tell them that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for their sin. We're not anything special. I'm just a beggar showing another beggar where I found bread. Amen? And so what I tell them is that God can lift their feet out of the miry clay and set them on the rock and give them eternal life. Is that what our message is? Well, why didn't they do that? What, why didn't they just preach the gospel to him? Um, doesn't this seem a little harsh? You know, how many of you remember when you were a kid and there was one person in this class that was acting up and the whole class got punished? Remember that? How many of you remember on the football team when one person didn't do what they were supposed to and you ran wind sprints? Oh, man, you're thinking, get it right, knucklehead. I don't want to run anymore, right? Here, could everybody have been just completely wicked? Doesn't this seem a little harsh? Understanding Genesis chapter 6. Now, now don't miss this. If, if you're wondering, if you're a young person, look up here at me. There we go. Don't wonder. I want you to get this because Genesis chapter 6 is fundamental to understanding the rest of the Bible. Genesis chapter 6 is fundamental to understanding Bible prophecy. You can't understand it unless you understand Genesis 6. That's how important this passage is. So, let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to start. Dear Heavenly Father, open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, I pray that you're honored by everything that's done. Help us to understand your word. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Father, I pray that people will listen attentively, that they'll interact with your word, and that you'll speak to us through this. Give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. All right. So let's look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1. And it came to pass when the men, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them. The same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. All right, now if you look down, if you have a Schofield Study Bible, I'm not sure what the Ryrie Study Bible does, but if you look down at your study Bible, many of your study Bibles will have a footnote that says that this is when the godly line of Seth married the ungodly line of Cain. Does anybody have a note that says something like that in their Bible? All right, well, that sounds good. The only problem is that's found nowhere in the Scriptures. Nowhere. Nowhere in the Scriptures does it say anything about the godly line of Seth. Now, here's, the, here's my point. If there was this godly line of Seth, why did they all die in the flood? And how many of you know someone that was a Christian and they married an unsaved person? And they had giants, right? No. No. There, this, this whole idea of the godly line of Seth, there is no such thing as a godly line of Seth. We're all born in sin. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all live. Right? So there's no such thing as a godly line. I'll have a godly line if I teach my children the gospel and they get saved and then they teach their children the gospel and they get saved and they teach their children the gospel and they get saved. That's how you have a godly line. You're not born into a godly line. Now, well, actually you are when you're born again. <laughs> Amen? All right. Then, so let's look at this. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, who were the sons of God? Who were the sons of God? Now, if you've been a Grace Baptist for any length of time, we've covered this. So I'm going to do this quickly. You might want to write down some notes if you've not heard it before. But I have to lay this groundwork because we have some folks who might not have been here before. Who were the sons of God? Well, a son of God is a direct creation of God that is sinless at the time of its creation. A son of God is a direct creation of God that was sinless at the time of its creation. Let's get an example. Look at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Now, everybody get a Bible. You've got Bibles in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, you've got to have a Bible. It doesn't matter what Jim Alter says. It matters what God says. All right? So, Job chapter 1. If you can't take notes quickly enough today, get the CD. They're free. You can download it off the computer, any of that. We're going to go fast to get through all this. Job chapter 1, look at verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. All right? So, Satan is an angel. Lucifer is an angel. And he has. Uh, there are other angels called the sons of God. How do we know that? Look at Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. Remember what's happened? God has uh, tested Job. He has allowed uh, Satan to test Job. And he's lost everything. And now, now Job starts questioning God. So God questions him. And he says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now I want you to mark that. When I laid the foundations of the earth. Because when we end this message, we're going to come back to that concept. Okay? 
So, so mark that and remember it and think about it. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measure thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? And of course, we understand there are lines upon the earth, longitude and latitude, found in the first book of the Bible. That's pretty cool. Okay, I think so anyway. All right? Look at verse 6. Who hath laid the foundations thereof? I'm sorry, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Now look at this, verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. All the sons of God shouted for joy. Of course, you know, there were no people then. He hadn't laid the foundation of the earth. How many of you understand that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? He created the earth and then He created man. These were sons of God, created beings, angels, that were praising and glorifying God when He laid the foundations of the earth. They were celebrating the creation of the earth. The earth is a special place. Amen? We need to worship it. No, we need to worship the God that created it. Amen? All right. So, letter A, a son of God is a direct creation of God that is sinless at the time of its creation. The first example are angels. There's a second example of a son of God created perfect when it was created. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And verse 38. Laying some groundwork. Genesis chapter 6, one of the most important chapters in understanding the Word of God. This is the lineage of Jesus Christ going back to Adam. Luke chapter 3, verse 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Adam was a son of God. He was created perfect, wasn't he? Sinless is what the Bible says. He was innocent. He was perfect. He was a direct creation of God that was sinless at the time of his creation. But there's something that we need to understand. Adam was a son of God, but his sons were not sons of God. They were sons of Adam. Genesis chapter 5. And just so you know, what I'm teaching you today... There's, there's probably no seminary in America that would teach you this because they are so humanistic. They are so naturalistic. They are so tied down to this world that they refuse the clear teaching of the Word of God. Now, lots of Bible colleges and Bible institutes would teach you this, but the major seminaries don't believe anything that we're going to show you. And at, by the time we're done, honestly, if you don't believe this, you're going to disagree with the Bible. That's why you've got to have a Bible in your hand. I want you to see what God says about it. All right, Genesis chapter 5, and look at verse 3. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Seth wasn't a son of God. Seth was a son of Adam. As in Adam, we all die. As in Christ, we all live. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam is the federal head of the human race. We are all sinners because of the sin of Adam. We all come from Adam. We're all descended from Adam. Whereas Adam's body was defiled, our bodies are defiled. We are sinners. Born in sin, we will die in sin unless we are born again. Very important to understand that. Who were the sons of God? Angels, then Adam, 
And then this is one that will be new for our study, Israel. Israel. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 6. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him. You notice that? Look at sons and daughters, and he says, I have created them. Is that what it says? It says him. What's he talking about? These are the sons and daughters that make up the nation of Israel. Israel is a unit. The sons and daughters make up the nation of Israel. So these are sons and daughters of God, even every one, verse 7, that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, a direct creation of God. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Now let's get a better understanding of this. Go to the book of Hosea. Hosea. Keep going. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Daniel, Hosea, chapter 1. Hosea, chapter 1, and look at verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. What happened? In, in AD 90, Jerusalem is destroyed. It's, it's completely wiped out. AD 70, I'm sorry. It's completely wiped out. Israel is no longer a people. They are no longer a people. When Jesus Christ comes back and establishes His kingdom, they're going to be back in the land. And in a place, a place where they were not called a people, now they're going to be called the sons of God. When Israel accepts this, the national day of salvation, the day of atonement, and we have that in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 9, where He says, You are my God. They say, You are my God. And God says, You are my people. That's when they become the sons of God. That's, isn't that a wonderful thing? So angels, Adam, Israel, then John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Who are these sons of God? They are direct creation of God that are created sinless. When they are created. Angels, Adam, the nation of Israel in the future. John chapter 1. Most of you know where we're going here. Verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Speaking of Jesus Christ. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When you're born again, you become a child of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that you are a new creature. You're a new creation, and you are created sinless in Him. I stand before God righteous, pure, holy. I'm a new creation. I am a son of God. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. John 3, 16, the next, the next son of God. So angels, Adam, Israel, believers. 
Then John 3.16. Who is this speaking of? Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave. Now, I want you to mark this. His only begotten Son. That's what separates Jesus Christ from us. I'm a son of God. The Bible says that when I receive Jesus Christ, I am made an heir and a joint heir with Him. I am a brother of Jesus Christ in the family of God. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That is awesome. But there's a difference between Jesus and me. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is the only, the only Son that emanates from the Father. He's a, so now, if you have a Bible that takes out only begotten, you might want to ask why. Amen? That is a designation, it's a distinction of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ. So, who are the sons of God? They are angels, they are Adam, Israel, believers, and Jesus Christ. So, what about Genesis chapter 6? Let's go back there. Let's try to determine which of these are being referred to in Genesis chapter 6. That's letter C. Who is being referred to in Genesis 6? Which of these sons of God? Well, I think that we can determine it pretty simply. Verse 1, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. All right? So now here they are. They're marrying. So who are they? Well, number one, we know they're not the nation of Israel. How do we know that? Israel hasn't started yet. Israel begins with Abraham. So we know it's not Israel. We know it's not Adam. Why? Because Adam's dead. Okay? We know that it's not Jesus. Right? It's not Jesus Christ. Uh, we know it's not born-again believers. Because no one's born again yet. Because Jesus Christ hasn't died on the cross yet. And you're born again as a result of the gospel. So what does that leave us? Angels. Angels. All right? That's all it can be, scripturally. All right? So here in Genesis 6, they are obviously fallen angels. All right? The number one, who are the sons of God? Number two, what is the significance of the sons of God to the judgment of the world in Genesis chapter 6? What is the significance of the sons of God to the judgment of the world? Well, let's look at some other passages that will help us. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. All right, 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 4. You're going to find an interesting grouping of judgments here. All right? 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. All right, so now here's, there are three judgments 
that are so similar that God includes them in one sentence. Several verses, but it's one sentence. What is, what is the common factor in these three judgments? Well, let's look at the text. If we go to Jude, remember we've said this, Second Peter and Jude are sister books. They deal with the same information. So let's get a little bit more information. Go to Jude, the book of Jude. After 2 Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, then Jude. Look at verse 6. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath he reserved, or he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after, now notice what it says, strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Look at the next verse. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now look at verse 9. You're going to see something interesting about them. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but say, said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. We're going to see something very interesting about this text. I wish I had time to go through that. We're going to have to skip over some of it. But what I want you to understand is we're going to learn something about these angels. When the angels fell, what happened when the angels fell? Well, the Bible says some of them left their habitation, their habitation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I think it's verse 2, it talks about us, how that we groan because we're clothed in this house of flesh. That word house, it's the same word for habitation. Same Greek word translated habitation here, house in 2 Corinthians. So what's it talking about? Where you live. They left where they lived and went somewhere else. Because of that, they were bound in chains and darkness forever. Is that what the Bible says? So how did they, what, what did they do when they left their habitation? Isaiah chapter 14. Remember, when Satan is cast down, he's cast down with a third of the angels. Where was their habitation? Look at what the Bible says. Verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weak, didst weaken the nations? For thou hadst said in thine heart... Now look at what he's going to do. I will ascend into heaven... I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation the sides of the north. That's where God is. How do you get to God? Well, you've got to go above the stars. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. So if you are, in order to get to God, if you have to go past the clouds, and then you have to go past the stars to get to where he is, where are you starting? Earth. Earth. How do I know that? Ezekiel chapter 28. 
Speaking of Lucifer, here he's called the king of Tyrus. Later on, he's called Lucifer in the passage, the anointed cherub that covers. Look at verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Here's what happened. Lucifer, he had his throne on this earth. He wanted to ascend into the heavens and, and make his throne above that of God. To get there, he had to go above. What he did was he sent his angels. Those angels didn't keep their habitation. They went to try and take over the heavens. God took those angels and cast them down. He bound them in chains in darkness forever. So at the fall of Satan, at the fall of the angels, you have these sons of God that are present. And there is judgment involved there. They were present at the fall I want you to see how we another way that we know that they were on the earth. We'll go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to show you something that you may have overlooked in the past. Look at verse 5. Remember what's going on. God has created Adam and Eve. Eve is being deceived in the garden. The serpent, Lucifer, comes to deceive her. Look at verse, look at what he says to her. Verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as what? Gods, knowing good and evil. Now, it doesn't say she's going to be like God. Is that right? They knew who God was. Now, wouldn't you wonder, what do you mean gods? Who are you, what are you talking about? Wouldn't you think that would be Eve's response? No, these sons of God were on the earth. She knew what they were. They were on the earth right there. So these sons of God were there in the fall of Satan. These sons of God were there during the fall of man. And we know one of them was Satan, right? And the Bible says that he has his angels. And just, just for a second, just for the fun of it, Revelation chapter 12. Just so you understand that we're not just making this up. Verse 7, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. You see that? Do you remember when the sons of God came to report in Job chapter 1? Where had they been? Going to and fro in the earth. All right, so let's go on. Number one, they were present. These three acts of judgment are so similar, God puts them in one sentence. What do they have in common? Number one, these sons of God were present at the fall of Satan, the fall of the angels. Then number two, they were present in the time of Noah. They're present in the time of Noah. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. Now, let me just stop right there for a second. Will everybody look up here with me for a minute? You need to understand this. This is as old as man is. Sexual sin begins with the eye gate. That's why, men, it's very important what you look at, what you watch on television, the magazines that you look at, what you look at on the computer. Your eye gate is the entrance for sin, man. It is. And then, ladies, it's your responsibility to be modest, to mo not put men in, in a situation to where they're going to do evil. Amen? 
That's all the way back in Genesis chapter 6. Let's be careful. Ladies, cover up. Men, be careful what you're looking at. All right, then let's go on. Uh, verse 2, and the, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, I want you to see what happens here. When the genetic makeup of humans is mixed with the genetic makeup of the sons of God, their offspring is incredible. Look at what it says about them. Verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. Now, I imagine that most of you have that also after that marked. I hope that you do because we're going to go there. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Who are these mighty men of old, men of renown? Hercules? Thor? Anyone heard of the old mythology? You know, much of this mythology goes back before the flood. Who were these mighty men? They were giants. Not only were they big... See, when, when you see a giant now, primarily, it's a, it's, um, a, it's a problem, it's a chromosomal problem. Or, I'm sorry, it's a hormonal problem. Giantism. Right? And those people are weak. They're not strong. This is a genetic mix of the sons of God and the, and the daughters of men. And the offspring are giants, men of renown. All right? Here's where this is so important. Every culture has a mythology that talks about these sons of God. They were evident. They were everywhere. And that's why it says in verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I want you to notice something. Look at what it says in verse 3. Stop tapping down here, please. Thanks. Um, and the Lord... I do the same thing. When I'm sitting there, my mom used to... I did the same thing. But. And the Lord said... My spirit shall not always strive with man for that. Now look at what it says. For that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be in 120 years. What's going on? God is talking to the men, to the people. You're also flesh. Also with who? With these sons of God that took on flesh. And what happens to the flesh of the men now? Well, look what the Bible says in verse 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He's going to destroy who's them? Who's them? We're going to see that in a minute. Mark that them. Mark that. Talking about a specific group. But why does God spare Noah and his sons? Why would he do that? If all the flesh is corrupted in the earth, why would he do that? Well, look at what it says in verse 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Now look at this. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. You need to understand something. When God wanted to destroy everything, that's because Satan had corrupted everything. In Leviticus, where God tells us not to lie with animals, 
And if you do, you're supposed to kill the woman and the animal? Why? Because it's the way that Satan works. It's so filthy. Let's go on. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Okay, so here's, here's the biggest question that will help you understand this. How many of you chose your parents? Did you choose your parents? How about your grandparents? How about your great-grandparents? Did you choose them? No. So why would God bless Noah because he was perfect in his generations? Well, one thing that we see here is Noah walked with God. Why did Noah walk with God? Because his generations hadn't been corrupted. His family line had not been corrupted by the intermarriage between the sons of God and the daughters of men. His flesh hadn't been corrupted. And so he destroyed the rest of the world and saved Noah and his children. All right, so these sons of God were present at the fall of Satan. They were present in the time of Noah. And then they were present, check this out. Now, remember what we looked at in Second Peter and in Jude. We're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at Genesis chapter 14. It's amazing the information that's in the Bible. Genesis chapter 14, look at verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Now, Shinar is the capital city of Babylon. Remember, the Bible's tale of two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon. Jerusalem 300 times, Babylon 280 times. Tale of two cities. City of God, city of Satan. Okay? And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, Chedor Laomer, king of Elam, and title king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All right, so now this is your first world war. Now look at this, look at what it says. And all these were joined together in the Vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served under Cheddar Laomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. So, thirteen, number of rebellion. Law of first mention right there. Now look at verse 5. In the fourteenth year came Cheddar Laomer, and kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaims in Ashtaroth. I want you to see that, the Rephaims in Ashtaroth. Now, most of you will, that, that name Ashtaroth will be familiar to you because that is a false goddess that's worshipped all through the Bible. But she was located in Sodom. And remember who this Ashtaroth is. Ashtaroth is where we get this whole mother-child cult, the fertility cult. In, in um, Chaldean, she's known as Ishtar. All the false religion that came from her in Sodom. But who is there? The Rephaims. The word Rephaim has two meanings. The Hebrew word Rephaim, it has two meanings. Fallen ones and giants. That's what the word means. Fallen ones and giants. So here in Sodom, you have these fallen angels who married these, the daughters of men, and the result are giants. All right? So what do we have? What is the common denominator with the fall of the angels, with the flood 
and with Sodom and Gomorrah, giants, these, this offspring, these sons of the sons of God. Um, number three, understanding the sons of God is a key to understanding the Bible. Now, we're going to go through this quickly. Look when these sons of God appear. They appear, first of all, at the fall, the fall of Satan and the fall of man. They appear when God establishes his seed. Remember Genesis 3.15? I won't belabor it because we've been through it, but let's read it. Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And every evangelical Christian in the world claims this as the first promise of the virgin birth. Amen? We all claim this as the first promise of the virgin birth. So it's talking about the woman having seed. Women don't have seed. So this is the idea of the virgin birth. All right, but let's go on. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is saying that there's going to be a battle between Satan's seed and the seed of woman. So a battle begins. And the sons of God are there when this battle begins. Well, what happens? Well, Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Remember, we talk of the battle of the seeds. First John chapter 2, the Bible clearly says that Cain was of that wicked one and slew his brother Abel. Abel was where the seed was supposed to come. It's a battle of the seed. Just quickly, let's, let's just go through the Bible and look at the, how, how this battle of the seed goes on. The next thing he does is he corrupts the seed in Genesis chapter 6, tries to destroy the world. The next thing that happens is, uh, not the next thing, but another thing, when the children of Israel go down into Egypt. Well, how about this? When God was going to have him sacrifice Isaac, Abraham sacrificed Isaac. If he had not had faith, that would have ended the seed. Next, you have the children of Israel going down into Egypt. Do you remember what happens when Pharaoh decides to kill all the boys? He's going to kill all of them. Moses is spared. What's that? It's an attack on the seed. It's an attack on the seed. When the children of Israel go out of Egypt, and now they're finally going to come through, he, Pharaoh finally lets them go. And then he chases them through the Red Sea. And God ends up killing all of those soldiers from Egypt. That was a battle against the seed. How about Jehoiakim? Jehoiakim was so corrupt that God said, nobody from your line will sit on the throne. Well, Satan thought he had, he had conquered the seed. But then, of course... Zelophehad's daughters, we can't go in there. It's an exception in the law that allows through Joseph and Mary, now Jesus Christ can come through that same seed. You can go through the Bible on and on and on. How about when Herod killed the innocents? That's the battle on the seed. The battle on the seed. Did you know that you and I are his seed now? And Satan hates you? He hates you? He's at war with you? He declared a battle on the seed. So now, here's what we need to understand. There were sons of God there. There were sons of God at the fall when God establishes his seed. Then when God establishes the people from whom the seed will come, that's the battle of the seeds. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Verse 10. The Bible says, And all the cities of the plain, and all Gilead, and all Bashan. Now, I want you to notice Bashan. Now, the cities of the plain, where were the cities of the plain? That's where Lot settled. This is the land where Abraham lived. 
So where God established his seed, Satan establishes the sons of God and the children of the sons of God. How do we know that? Well, look at what it says. And unto Salca and unto Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. Now, don't miss Bashan. We're going to come back to Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth thereof after the cubit of a man. Now, so if that's 18 inches, this is a 13-foot bed, six feet wide. This is a giant. This is a giant. So in the land where God was going to establish his seed, you have the sons of God. Let's go on. When God gives the seed a lawgiver and a land. Who's the lawgiver? Moses. The land is the promised land. What happens? Look at Numbers. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. Numbers 13 and verse 30. Remember they've sent... Twelve spies, one spy from each of the tribes of the children of Israel into the promised land to spy out the land. They're there for 40 days. Verse 30, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Do you see that? It eats them up. What does that mean? Let's go on. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So we were in their sight. So here's the idea. Have you ever seen a grasshopper? Are you bigger than a grasshopper? How much bigger than a grasshopper are you? Somewhere between five and seven feet. Bigger than a grasshopper. Right? That pretty much covers it, the people that we have in here. Stacy News, a little below that. But the idea is very simple. They're that, as much as you are bigger than a grasshopper, that's how much bigger these giants were. So they're 13, 14 feet tall, 12 to 14 feet tall. That's how big these giants were. How big was Goliath? How big was Og? See, it's all consistent in the scriptures. So here you have, when God establishes his people, when God gives the lawgiver and the land, you have these giants. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28. Deuteronomy 1, 28. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. And we, Anakims are giants. Um, chapter 2, verse 19. And when thou comest nigh over against the children of Ammon, 
distress them not, nor meddle with them. For I will not give thee of the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I have given it unto the children of Lot for a possession. That also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwell therein in old time, and the Ammonites call them Zamumimins. All right? Now, let's go on. So when the, the, when the children of Israel, when God establishes a seed, they're there. When God creates man, they're there, these sons of God. When God establishes his people through Abraham, they're there. When he gives them the law and the land, they're there. Well, how about after when Joshua takes over? When God gives the children the land under Joshua, look at Joshua chapter 12. Joshua chapter 12. And look at verse 4. Notice who else is here. And the coast of Og, king of Bashan, which was of the remnant of the giants, that dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Edrai, and reigned in Mount Hermon. Remember what happens in Mount Hermon? And Selka, and in all Bashan. When you look at this, this area, when God sends Joshua in, why did Joshua tell him to kill everybody? Because these sons of God are there. This corruption is there. This wickedness that consumes all the inhabitants of the land. They're there. Satan is trying to destroy it. Look at Joshua chapter 13 and verse 12. And the kingdom of Og in Bashan, which reigned in Ashtaroth, and in Edrai, who remained of the remnant of the giants, for these did Moses smite and cast them out. Look at chapter 15 and verse 8. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom unto the south side of the Jebusite. The same is Jerusalem. And the border went up to the top of the mountain that lieth before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of the giants northward. We could go on and on and on. That's why they had to kill every man, woman, beast, tear down every house. He even had them destroy every picture. He didn't want them to be remembering these mighty men of valor. Why? Because they were not good. They were evil. They're wicked. So to understand the history of the Bible, you've got to understand the significance of these sons of God. How about when God establishes his throne in Jerusalem? When God establishes his throne in Jerusalem... Who's the first king to sit on the throne in Jerusalem? David. What did David have to do before he became anointed king? Or before he became king? He had to kill a giant. They're there. You want to see something amazing? Look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. Look at verse 16. I love this name. And Ishbi Binab. <laughs> now look at this. Which was of the sons of the giant. The giant is Goliath. The weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass. That's an 11 pound spearhead in weight. He being girded 
with a new sword thought to have slain David. So these people thought this guy had killed, this is one of the sons of Goliath. They thought that he had killed David. Now look at verse 17. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt not, or thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. So you need to stay home. Let us kill these, these giants. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob, and Shibakai, the Hishathite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, and there Elhana, or Elhanan, the son of Jeroragim, a, Beth, a Bethlehemite. Now look at this. Slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Now you've got to understand the corruption here. He's not only a son of Goliath, he's a brother. That's how wicked. All right, now, verse 20. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers, on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number, and he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. God, you wonder why there were five smooth stones? One for Goliath and his sons. This is what God wanted him to do. Wipe them out. Why? Because they have kids. Wipe them out. Um, all right. Then, so when God establishes his throne in Jerusalem, they're there. How about this? When Jesus Christ is crucified, they're there. When Jesus Christ is crucified, they're there. Let's get the phone. Hello? All right. Look at Psalm chapter 22. Og was king of Bashan. Psalm chapter 22. This is the prophecy, messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ on the cross. Look at verse 1. Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? What did Jesus Christ cry on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is all about Jesus. I don't have time to go through it all, but now look down in verse 12. This is when Jesus is on the cross. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening, and roaring lion. What is, how does Satan behave as a roaring lion? Beware, right? These bulls of Bashan, and they've gaped on him. But you know what? They thought they won. Do you remember? It was a battle of the seed. The Bible says that Jesus, the seed of the woman, will bruise Satan's head but he will bruise Christ's heel. Here they're bruising Jesus, but it's not final. He rose from the dead. Amen? Amen? So now, these sons of God will be present when Christ returns. Matthew chapter 24. 
you're going to understand a verse now more than you ever have, better than you ever have. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Remember what happened. Four of Jesus Christ's apostles have come to Jesus Christ. Disciples, they've come to him and they've said, what, what will be the signs of your appearing? And he gives them this Olivet Discourse. Verse 36. But of that day and hour, no man knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now you understand why the angels don't need to know. Amen? All right. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So when Jesus Christ comes back, they're going to be marrying and giving in marriage. It's going to be like it was in the times of Noah. Well, where does the Bible tell us that? Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, look at verse 43. Here's what's going on. You have this image. This king has a dream. He sees this image. What does it mean? Daniel gives him the interpretation of the dream. Verse 43. Now remember what you have. It has a head of gold. It has arms of silver. It has a body of brass. It has, a feet. It has legs of iron and feet of iron mingled with miry clay. Now, remember what's going on, though. The head of gold is not really a head of gold. It's the Babylonian Empire. The arms of silver aren't really arms of silver. They're the Medo-Persian Empire. The body of brass is not really a body of brass. Remember, it's just a vision. It's a dream. And that speaks of the Greek Empire. The legs of iron are the Roman Empire. And then the feet of iron mingled with brass, or mingled with miry clay, that's the revived Roman Empire that happens during the tribulation period. Okay? Now look at what it says in verse 43. And whereas... Now look, remember, we believe the word... How many of you believe the words of Scripture? All right? Look at what it says. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they... Remember, they had corrupted all of the earth? They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So here's what's going on. These sons of God don't want to mess with other sons of God. They marry the daughters of men. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ comes to establish His kingdom. How do I know? Look at the next verse. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, for it shall stand forever. So when Jesus Christ comes back to establish His kingdom, this other kingdom that's made up of kings of this combination of the seed of men and miry clay is going to be ruling. That's what the Bible says. Now, how does that tie back to Genesis 3 with this whole battle of the seeds? 
Look at verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. Jesus Christ is going to come back, shatter, shatter this kingdom and bruise it, but bruise its head. Genesis 3.15 Thou shalt bruise his heel, but he shall bruise your head. It all ties together. Now I'm going to show you the last passage that brings all of this back. Psalm chapter 82. Psalm chapter 82. Verse 1, God, that's the one true God, amen? God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Keep your place right there. Keep your place. Genesis 6, 4. Genesis 6, 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, which uh, men of renown. How long will we respect the persons of mighty people who are wicked? How long will we do that? That's the question. Back in, back in Psalm. Go back to Psalms. Keep Genesis 6, of course. Back to Psalms. Now look at what it says, verse 2, How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Now all of us who have been here know, if you're new, you might not know this, that word selah, just in a song, it's a pause or a rest. But prophetically, anytime you see that selah, that's the same word for Petra. Petra is where the nation of Israel will be kept safe during the tribulation period. Whenever you see this word selah in the Bible, it has to do with Jesus Christ coming back to establish His kingdom on the earth. It always deals with that. So how long will they keep men of renown? Until Jesus Christ comes back. He judges the gods. Now look at what it says in verse 3. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Who's the wicked? Satan. When are they in the hand of the wicked? In the tribulation period. Jesus Christ comes back to take care of this. Now look at this, all the way back to the beginning of our message. Look at verse 5. From verse 5 through 8, we have encapsulated everything I've just told you. Look at what it says. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. Who shouted for joy when he laid the foundations of the earth? The sons of God. Job chapter 38. Now look at what happens. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Look at this. Rapture, 
and Jesus Christ getting up off of the throne of God. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. They're present when Jesus Christ returns. It's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. They're present when Christ returns. It's no surprise to God. So, number four, understanding this chapter is the key to understanding our times. First Chronicles 12.32 said, And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. Ephesians chapter 6. All that's interesting information, but what does that have to do with us? Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. This is for you. Everything I just gave you is vitally important to you understanding the Bible. But what do you do with that information now? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Do you understand what the evil day means now? Do you understand when it, what it says when we, are, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but there are rulers of darkness in high places? This entire world is being taken over by a satanic system. You might be sitting out there saying, man, this is weird. Is the world weird right now? Have you seen Berlusconi in Italy? You see what he just said? They accused him of, of, of paying a prostitute. He said, I don't need to pay a prostitute. He said, I, I enjoy the conquest. Ruler of a nation. Can you speak like that? Wickedness, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the world that we live in. Pastor, are you saying that everybody in the world is demon-possessed? No, they don't need to be. Because the leaders are, and they establish this world system. And according to Ephesians chapter 2, that when you're not born again, you're walking according to the course of this world, according to the power of the prince of the power of the air, which now worketh in the children of disobedience. Who does Jesus Christ come back to destroy? The ungodly, the disobedient. Now, here's what you need to understand. That's the world that you live in. Do you ever not fit in? You ever feel like, what is up with this world? We need to understand, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure's laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen? That's why no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this world. Why? Because this world is controlled by Satan. He is the God of this world. He is getting ready to take power again. Why? He knows his time is short. The Bible tells us that all these things would happen until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. When were the times of the Gentiles fulfilled? 1948, when Israel got their nation back. Now we're on borrowed time. Satan knows he's on borrowed time. And he is making short work of the earth. You need to know that you live in a fallen world. 
The only way that you can live a victorious Christian life in the middle of all of this corruption, what did Noah do? Noah walked with God. How are you going to make it in this time of judgment? How are you going to make it? You got to walk with God. How are you going to do that? Take unto you the whole armor of God. What is the whole armor of God? The helmet of salvation. Know what you believe about the gospel. Know, understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. Having your loins girt about with the truth, tie up the loose ends of your life with the word of God. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's a foreign righteousness. Amen? Take on the shield of faith, whereby you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That means they're coming at you. Have faith in God. Amen? And take unto you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take that Word of God. Go out into the culture and speak the Word of God. Why do you do that? Because your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You go out every day prepared to give the gospel. How are we going to make it in this time? Genesis 6 tells us what to be prepared for. It's the key to understanding the Bible. When you understand that Satan has a plan against the seed, that Satan has a plan with the sons of God to mingle with a miry clay with the seeds of men, it's coming. You need to understand that God knew it was coming and He said we would be able to stand against the wicked as we put on the whole armor of God. I want you to leave here encouraged. I want you to know that none of this surprised God. He knew it was all going to happen. Amen? Amen.